We are continuing this morning in our journey through Luke as we look at the sayings and the deeds of Jesus, um, looking at things that he spoke and miracles that he did. And so if you turn with me to Luke 14, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. Luke 14, 1 through 6. It's our uh, it's the third gospel. Luke 14, 1 through 6. And as you turn there, I ask that you would pray with me. And pray, let's all pray together uh, that God would bless this time of Bible study, that he would open up our hearts and our minds to hear what it is that he has for us this morning. Uh, because this isn't just an exercise in me standing up here talking for a while, but it's an exercise in us taking our hearts and allowing God to mold us into the people that he wants us to be. So I would ask that you would pray for me, that God would speak through me. And I'd ask that you would pray for yourself, that he would open up your hearts and minds, that he would um, allow you to hear and to apply what it is that he has for you this morning. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we once again come before you and we thank you for the gift of your word that you have given to us to lead and guide our lives, Father. And so I pray right now as we come to this time of Bible study together, I pray that you would give us an opportunity to hear and to understand what it is that you want to tell us, what it is that you want to show us this morning. Pray that you would open up our hearts and minds, Father. Break down the walls of sin that we have built around us. Bring us to a place where we are willing And humble to listen to you and to take your word and to apply it to our lives, Father. I pray that even now that you would empty me of myself and allow your Holy Spirit to speak through me, Father. And now, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Luke 14. Starting in verse one. And just a word before we go here. This is the healing of a man on the Sabbath. And the condition this man has is, is dropsy, which is, is what the, the ESV translates this as. This isn't that he couldn't hold on to anything, that he had a case of the dropsies and he would drop everything. He didn't have slippery hands. I had to, I had to look this up because I'm not a doctor. It's in a case of edema, which is swelling of different places on his body where his body would retain fluid. And so as we're thinking about this, don't think about this man who was fumble fingers, but this man that actually had swelling and probably looked pretty goofy. So anyway, just just want to get that out of the way in case you were, you probably already knew that and that was unnecessary for me to say, but I had to look it up. So anyway, take that as you will. Luke 14, starting in verse 1. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? 
and they could not reply to these things. When I was a sophomore in college, I lived in a dorm that was a converted apartment with two bedrooms, one and a half bathrooms, five 20 year old males living in there. And as you can imagine, we had some issues of hygiene, as one would imagine, between five 20 year old males all living in, in one small dorm room together would have. But we also were going through the process of defining our faith for ourselves and trying to figure out for ourselves what it meant to live the Christian life and what that looked like and how that played out in our lives. And so we would spend time together in Bible study and and different things. And eventually it came down to the idea of conduct and, and how how we would conduct ourselves while we were living in this, in this room together. And eventually that that then turned into a list. It became a list of things that you could say and couldn't say. And it mostly became then a list of things that you couldn't say and a list of things that you couldn't do when you were in a room. And so we had this whole big list, and as you can imagine, we pretty good at coming up with this list, and so we started to add more and more things to this list, and eventually we had this big long list of things that you couldn't say and things that you couldn't do when you were in our dorm room. But we weren't just satisfied with dictating this for ourselves, we then wanted it to then impose this upon other people who might come into our room and hang out with us. And so when you came in, you were informed that there was a list of things that you couldn't say and a list of things that you couldn't do when you came into our room. We were very proud of our list. Now, this probably wouldn't be a problem if nobody wanted to come hang out in a room, but I was smart and hung out with popular roommates. I wasn't popular, but my roommates were. And so people would always want to come and hang out in a room. And we had a big TV. I think that maybe had something to do with it. And so people would come and hang out in our room all the time. Well, pretty soon after we made the presence of the list known, as you can imagine, people stopped coming. And eventually, no one would come to our room. And so we had to take a step back and look at the list and say, I think maybe we've taken it a little too far here. I think maybe by taking this list, which had all the intentions of being something good, I mean, we wanted to grow in our spiritual life. We wanted to to figure out what it meant for our, our own lives to live out our Christian faith. But what really what we ended up doing was creating a list of rules and then dictating them to other people to follow. And so our intention was good. But really, we got too carried away with it. And we became people that the Pharisees of Jesus' time probably would have been proud of because of our list of rules that we had there. I think we lost concept of this, or we lost sight of the concept of grace. The idea that, that, yes, there probably are things in our lives that we shouldn't say, and there probably are things in our lives that we shouldn't do. There also is grace, that we can live a life of living out our faith without dictating to other people 
what it is that they can and cannot do when they're around us. And we can live a life of faith without living ourselves and being bogged down and being burdened with the keeping of the rules and keeping of this list. And this is the Pharisees that, that Jesus is encountering here in our passage this morning. Is that these are, these are people who the Pharisees loved these lists about the law. And it wasn't just, I mean, they had lists. But then they had lists about their lists. And they had lists about the lists about the list. And they had a list about how you could make a list for the list that was about the list about the law. I mean, it was crazy the amount of stuff that they came up with. And the intention, I think, initially was good, but they had gotten carried away and nobody had checked them. And so at this point, when we encounter Jesus here in this this morning's passage, we see that they had gotten so far off over in this section where they'd completely forgotten about the concept of grace and no concept of that whatsoever. And they were so concerned with were people following their rules and they were dictating these rules to other people instead of saying, yes, there are some things that we should follow and some things that we should do. But, you know, maybe they don't apply in every situation and, and maybe there is a little bit of latitude, a little bit of opportunity for us to grow. So why? Why the Sabbath? Why was the Sabbath such a big deal? I mean, what what what's going on here? Why were these Pharisees so concerned with this? Well, if you recall the creation narrative that we get in Genesis. You have six days when God creates and then he declares everything good. And then on the seventh day, he rests. And the Hebrew word that we get the word Sabbath from means to rest or just to stop, to pause, to quit. To just not do the ceasing of action. And this is what Jesus, this is what God did after he created on the seventh day. And this is an indication that that, first of all, that the creation that God had made was good. God had declared it so. And if you remember, after everything that he creates, he declares it good. And so God sees and this is an indication for us as he rests that there is. There's no improvement there to be made. You know, sometimes if you you make something or you create, you bake a cake or or something like that and kind of go back and there's a little bit of touch up that you can do on the frosting. Or if you paint um, something in your house, you know, maybe a couple of days later, you say, oh, I missed the spot. I need to go back and, and touch that up. No, there was none of that with God. Everything that God had done and created was good as is, and there was no touch-up needed, and so God rested on the seventh day. And there was also a recognition, recognition that everything was complete as is. There was no more creating that needed to be done. In God's creating, he had created both all of the world and everything that we see and the building blocks of everything that would be needed from there, and so there was no more creating that needed to be done. That God was resting Because he was done creating. And so this is sort of where this idea of Sabbath comes from. And as Moses then comes with the law, as we see in both Exodus 20 and again in Deuteronomy 5, as he gives the law again, we see that God gives the command of the Sabbath. 
and says, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, six days shall you labor, but on the seventh you shall rest just as God did. And so we think about that this serves, God wants his people to, to be reminded. We want it to look back to creation and to think about this, that God created. And it supports a life of believing in God, to be reminded that God was the agent of creation, that God did spend those six days creating, but then he rested on the seventh. And so also should we rest on the seventh. So it's looking back to creation gives us a, a very good reminder there of that. But then it's also a recognition. That there are some things that that we just can't accomplish by working harder at it and working more at it. I think God knew that we were a people that would get bogged down in our work and that if it was up to us, we would just try harder. And we would just, just work a little bit harder and just, I don't need this extra day of rest. I can just work straight through. And if I work straight through, I can just, I can just get it done. That's not the case. There are some things in our lives that we cannot work hard enough to fix. We're fallen, sinful, broken people. You cannot work hard enough to save yourself from your sinful condition. You cannot save yourself from death. Only Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross can do that. And so I think this command of Sabbath is a reminder of, for us that there are some things that we cannot do for ourselves. That there is a time when we need to come and rest and rely on God. And be there in his presence. So it's a look back at creation. It's a reminder that God is sovereign. And then it's a look forward to the eternal rest that those who have put their faith in Christ will enjoy together with God. Because when we get to heaven, there won't be work that will need to be done. We will be able to rest with God because God has been resting all this time. Yes, he is still at work. But because of the idea of eternity, God is there waiting for us, resting. And his work will be accomplished and has been accomplished. It is done. And so now, when we get to heaven, we'll be there and we will have the chance to have eternal rest with him. If we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. So it's a look back at creation, a reminder that God is sovereign and a look forward to the eternal rest that we will enjoy. And then also it's interesting that sort of that's how the Sabbath kind of plays out in our own lives, but also the Sabbath in community, and especially in Deuteronomy 5, in the giving of the law. Moses makes a point and God speaking through Moses says the sojourner among you so that your servants will not need to serve them, because remember when you were slaves in Egypt and you labored with no rest. And so thinking about where God has brought their people, the people of Israel, where God has brought them out of their sin, where God has brought them out of Egypt to a place where they now, they were slaves, and were slaves to sin, and now they come to a place of rest as a reminder of where they were. And so I think as we pause for the Sabbath, it can also serve as a reminder of where we were. And it also gives us a chance to sit and pause and think about the people around us. Sabbath in community. 
It's not meant to just be solitude in a dark room by yourself for 24 hours. But it's to be lived out with one another. Reminding one another of what God has done in our lives. Reminding one another of all of these things of God. And looking and seeing where it is that God has acted. Where it is that God is at work. And maybe where it is that we have fallen short. So that we can then take and reorient our lives to push in that direction. So this is the idea of Sabbath that we have here. And as we think about it, I mean, that sounds like something nice and something good. But the Pharisees, much like me and my roommates, had turned it into this giant list. And so their interpretation of it was that you couldn't work. Which is correct. That's what the command says. You shouldn't work. But then the question comes, well, what defines work? How do we figure out what work means? And so there's oral tradition of rules about work and all of these things came down. What was work and what wasn't work? And for the Pharisees, you have to understand that these were keepers of rules. These were hall monitors of the hall monitors. I mean, these guys, if you stepped out of line, they would bust you and they would call you out on it and they would tell everybody else about it, too. Because they saw godliness as keeping all of the rules, following the rules. They didn't have this concept, this idea of grace. They had the idea of following rules, of lists, of ritual holiness. And for them, the Sabbath was the pinnacle of this. And so they ended up with 39 different categories of work that required defining. 39 different ways that you could violate the Sabbath by doing something. One commentator puts it this way, and he says, In the most general sense, the numerous Sabbath laws are an expanding network of minute details deriving from several basic concepts, which eventually create an almost gothic structure made up of thousands upon thousands of tiny and meticulously fashioned details clustered around an original form. Think about the idea of an ancient church or cathedral somewhere and you have in the middle this building but then coming off the side because the building was so big they had to support it and so they have these these called flying buttresses that come off of them and and go out to the ground and support them and then coming off of those supports are more supports and, and coming off of those supports are more supports and you think about a scaffolding how does the scaffolding work well it builds upon itself and it it supports itself almost like a spider web Becomes numerous. Well, this is this is how the the Pharisees had taken this law of Sabbath in the middle of something good. But then they built all this stuff up around it, all this extra stuff. And they had made these lists upon lists upon lists. And then eventually it got to the point where could a woman wear a hair tie in her hair? Because is she carrying it or is it in her hair? Is she wearing it? And so the question became now they have to define well, can, can you wear the hair thing? Because you're wearing it, but then it's also on your head and you're carrying it. And if you were carrying it, that could be construed as work. This is the detail that they had gone down into. You couldn't touch a hammer because a hammer was an instrument of work. And if you touch the hammer to move the hammer, then you might be tempted to work. So by touching the hammer, you were violating the Sabbath, even though you weren't actually working, but you were tempting yourself to... I mean, seriously, 
Are you confused yet? Are you exhausted yet? I mean, this is unbelievable. And yet these people have taken this concept, this amazing concept that we've looked at, of God resting. And us, in grace, being able to come and rest in Him. And they've turned it into this list, in this series of lists. And these are the people that are coming here and says, One Sabbath, he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, and they were watching him carefully. And the idea that we get in the original language is not that they were just kind of checking him out and looking at his clothes, seeing what kind of new sandals he had gotten. But no. These people were looking for him to do something so that they could accuse him. They were watching him, his every move, waiting. And we've all been in those situations where maybe it was a boss or somebody that we knew that just watched and just waited for you to slip up. And the second you do, bam, they're right there to point you on it. You messed up. It's not a very comfortable place to be in. And this is where Jesus is with these people. And so Jesus comes and he says to them. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they don't respond. And so Jesus goes ahead and heals this guy. So why exactly is Jesus okay with what looks to us? Of violating the Sabbath. I mean, because it's one of the, the Ten Commandments, right? And if they said that you couldn't do this on the Sabbath, and this was the whole concept and the whole idea, and yet Jesus comes along and violates it, but we know that Jesus was without sin, so how does this work? Why is it that Jesus was okay with violating the Sabbath? Well, I think the first thing that we can see is that Jesus is actually getting back to the original concept of Sabbath, the original idea of Sabbath, which is honoring God. And we pause once a week to think about God. We look back to creation. We think about God's sovereignty and we look forward to rest. We're honoring God. And that's God's desire when he gave the law is for the people to honor him. And so Jesus is reaching back to the original intent. And I think it was honoring of God to heal this man. I mean, that's I mean, that's a very honoring of God thing to do. And he also, I think, was reorienting. And for the people that saw this and for us today, we see that he's reorienting and restoring Sabbath as a gift for the living in obedience with God and before God to understand that the Sabbath should be observed in grace, not in rules. We understand that it's a gift for living in obedience with God. Because we rest in the same way that God did, in the same way that God is, in the same way that God will be. So we rest with God. And God wants us to rest with him. The creator of the universe wants you to pause and to spend time with him. To take your busy life and to just hang out with him for a day. I don't know about you, but that's kind of amazing to me. 
that God desires a relationship with us and he has built in to his law, his commands, an opportunity for us to do that. And so Jesus is restoring Sabbath as a way to live in obedience with God and also as a way to live in obedience before God. Because as we live before God, God allows us to be formed by him as we pause. Because I don't know about you, but my to-do list is a mile long. And that's just the things I have to do, not even the things that I want to do. And if left to my own devices, as soon as I'm finished here, I'm going to run home. Probably take a nap if I'm totally honest. But then I'm going to get up and I'm going to start doing things. There's maybe something on the house that needs to be fixed, and there's maybe some things that I can do here. There's maybe some work that I can catch up on and, and maybe get ahead for the week. And, and we get in this mentality and we get ourselves all worked up that, that we're going we're gonna to just power through and we're going to do this and we're going to be Superman. And we're not. So we allow God to form us and to rest in God's sovereignty before him. And Jesus, in another occasion in Mark, tells us, That man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. Well, what does that mean? Well, man was not made for the Sabbath. Meaning that we were not designed for all of these rules and all of these things. We weren't created so that we would observe the Sabbath. We weren't created so we would follow all these lists and so that would become this burden But instead, the Sabbath was made for us. God knew that we needed a time to pause and to wait and a reminder and a picture to look back and to see what it is that he was doing in our lives and to rest in his sovereignty. And so the Sabbath was made for us. God designed it that way. God created it that way because he knew that we needed that. And so God created the Sabbath for us. To rest before God. And it calls us to reorient our lives back to God. When we pause and we wait, we can take stock of our lives. Think about our service this morning. We have a time of confession where nothing happens. But we just pause and it's quiet. And there's nothing that goes on in that moment except for us pausing and examining our lives. And if someone was singing in that moment or if someone was talking in that moment or if we were doing whatever in that moment, it would be a lot harder for us to reflect on our lives. And I think that's the point of the Sabbath is for us to pause once a week, to take some time out of our busy lives and to come to a place where we can pause and see what it is that God's trying to tell us. We can slow down. And shut up long enough that we can hear what it is that God's actually trying to say to us. And probably has been trying to say to us, if we're honest, or at least I know I am, that God has been trying to say to me for a while, and yet I've been too busy and too noisy to listen. It makes us pause to also see the opportunities around us. To see Sabbath in community. To see where it is that we could grow. Where it is that we could reach out. Who it is that we could serve. Where people are being oppressed. That we could actually do something about it. It makes us pause. And look around. As we look at ourselves. 
Obedience before God. Living there. And so I think it leaves us with two questions that we have to ask ourselves this morning. The first question is the place that my roommates and I arrived at. We realized how pharisaical we had become. The question is, have we used religion to justify our own agendas? Because that's what the Pharisees were doing. Their agenda was that everybody follow the rules. And so they took taking the Sabbath and they built all this stuff around it so that they could be the rulers and the arbiters of all of those things. And I think that's an easy place for us to get to. And a temptation that we often find ourselves succumbing to. And so the question is, where have we used religion to justify our own agendas? Are we more concerned with being right than we are with showing love to someone? Do we live a life of grace that is attractive to other people? Or do we turn them off? By requiring a set of rules and regulations and things that they need to do. And the second question we have to ask ourselves. Is are we keeping Sabbath in any way, shape or form? Do we have a time once a week to sit and rest in God? Now, I understand that there are people that have to work on Sundays. Because of their job or whatever. And that's the great thing about this, is that there is grace in this. There's opportunities for us throughout the week to take Sabbath. But as I thought about this question, I turned to Eugene Peterson. He's an author. He's written a lot of books about spirituality. He addresses this question of Sabbath, this idea of what it means to keep the Sabbath in our daily lives and in our weeks. And he says, so how do we get these creation and Sabbath keeping rhythms into our lives so that we can work congruently with God at work, live more or less in step with God and his creation? The obvious answer, at least judging by its popularity, might be to get a pair of binoculars and to take up bird watching, becoming familiar with the amazing and colorful ways of hawks and warblers. Or to get a fly rod and learn to read the rivers, studying which insects are fancied by the fish and how to cast a line lightly and unobtrusively over waters that are home to rainbow trout. Or to get a camera with a bag full of lenses and photograph wildflowers and hummingbirds. But the obvious answer in this case is not the right answer. We could do worse than to watch curlews and angle for salmon and photograph wild orchids. But the way of Israel and church is to embed Sabbath keeping in our weekly acts of worship in the company of the people of God. We keep Sabbath best when we enter a place of worship, gather with a congregation and sing and pray and listen to God. We keep Sabbath best when we enter a place of worship, gather with a congregation and sing and pray and listen to God. God is inviting us to come into his presence every day, but every week. 
Are we willing to submit to Him? To pause long enough? To put our lives on hold? To rest in Him? So that we come to a place of humble reliance on Him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You love us enough that You want to spend time with us. That You have designed the world in a way that You've built in a time when we can rest with You and before You so that You can shape us and mold us into the people that You want us to be to bring us to a place of humble reliance on You to admit that we can't do it all ourselves, that we do need You. And to allow ourselves to pause and to listen and to see where it is that you want to shape us. And so, Lord, I ask this morning that you would make us willing to do that in our lives. Make us willing to humble ourselves before you and bring us to a place where we will pause and rest before you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.